This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 108. The Abduction of Travis Walton. The small town of Snowflake, nestled among the pine-covered hills of Arizona, was once known for its beautiful scenery and friendly small-town community. But in the autumn of 1975, a series of events would take place that would forever shatter its peaceful facade. Among the town's residents was a group of hard-working loggers led by the seasoned foreman, Mike Rogers. Little did they know that their lives were about to change forever. Travis Walton, a young man with a passion for adventure, was part of Mike's logging crew. On the chilly evening of November 5th, 1975, they were driving back to Snowflake after a long day of cutting down trees in the Sit Greaves National Forest. The sun had already dipped below the horizon, painting the sky with colorful hues in its wake. Tired but satisfied with their day's work, the crew members settled into the old pickup truck, relieved to be heading home. As they drove along the lonely forest road, the dense trees loomed overhead, their branches casting eerie shadows across their path. The truck's headlights cut through the darkness, illuminating the narrow way ahead. Travis sat next to Mike in the front seat while the others, Alan Dallas, John Goulet, Steve Pierce, Kenneth Peterson, and Dwayne Smith were seated in the back. The conversation in the truck revolved around the usual banter, laughter punctuating the stillness of the night. Suddenly, Travis, who had been gazing out of the window, pointed at something in the sky. Look, do you see that? He exclaimed, his voice filled with excitement and disbelief. The crew turned their eyes upward, their expressions transitioning from casual amusement to utter confusion. Above the treetops, a strange, bright object hovered in the air. Its glowing metallic surface emitted an otherworldly aura that seemed to defy explanation. The object was saucer-shaped, and as they watched, it made no sound and moved with an otherworldly grace. Stop the truck, Mike! Travis yelled out, his heart pounding in his chest. I want to get out and get a closer look. Mike, a practical and level-headed man, hesitated. 
Are you sure, Travis? It might not be safe. Travis, filled with curiosity, continued. Come on, Mike. This is a once-in-a-lifetime chance. The other logger, sensing the extraordinary nature of the situation, egged Mike on. Reluctantly, he pulled the truck over to the side of the road. Travis eagerly jumped out, leaving the safety of the vehicle behind. Approaching the craft, Travis was both mesmerized and terrified. Its surface appeared to ripple with an almost hypnotic energy. He cautiously moved closer, his eyes widening with every step. The others watched from a distance, torn between concern for their friend's safety and the irresistible curiosity for the strange craft. As Travis inched closer to the hovering object, a sudden surge of intense heat engulfed him. A deafening sound like the crackling of lightning filled the air, drowning out the otherwise dullness of the night. The crew watched in horror as a brilliant beam of light shot down from the craft, engulfing Travis in its blinding radiance, knocking him back several feet. Time seemed to stand still as the group grappled with what they had just witnessed. Fear and panic gripped their hearts. In that instant, they assumed their friend and fellow crewmate was dead. Terror consumed them all. The truck's engine roared to life as Mike slammed his foot on the accelerator, and they sped away from the scene, leaving behind the still-hovering craft and their friend, Travis. After driving for a few minutes, they stopped. Mike watched as the craft lifted above the tree line and head northeast at incredible speeds. The crew then decided to head back to the location where they had left Travis and the saucer. When they arrived, they were shocked to find the area completely empty. No UFO. No Travis. There was also no real evidence that there was ever anything there in the first place. They then drove silently back to town. Back in Snowflake, the crew decided to call the sheriff's office, still in shock over what had happened. They frantically relayed the unbelievable events that had unfolded in the forest. The disappearance of Travis into the otherworldly light and the impossible craft. Sheriff Deputy Chuck Ellison met them at a nearby shopping center. He proceeded to listen carefully to their account, trying to discern if this was some elaborate hoax or a genuine distress call. But the raw fear of the logger's eyes convinced him that they were not fabricating a tall tale. He decided to reach out to Sheriff Gillespie and the crew told him the story as well. Taking the situation seriously, the sheriff assembled a search party to come through the forest for any trace of Travis Walton. The news spread like wildfire through the small town, and soon, volunteers from Snowflake and neighboring communities joined the effort to find the missing young man. 
The search lasted for days, with teams scouring every inch of the dense forest. But no sign of Travis was found. No footprints. No clothing. Nothing. It was as if he had vanished into thin air. The mysterious disappearance made headlines in local newspapers, and people across the country began to hear about the strange events that had unfolded in the remote woods of Arizona. Believers and ufologists alike all flocked to the small town of Snowflake, hoping to share in the excitement. Travis's brother Duane was approached by William H. Spaulding, a member of the group Round Saucer Watch. He told Duane that if Travis returned, they would provide a private medical doctor for Travis to speak to. Speculation ran wild, with some attributing Travis's vanishing to a murder that was covered up, while others bought into the claims. But for those who were there that fateful night, one thing was certain. Something extraordinary had occurred. Something that defied explanation. And something that would haunt them for the rest of their lives. By this point, the police were confident that Travis had been killed. However, they continued the investigation. On November 9th, the sheriff went out to the area where Travis had disappeared with a Geiger counter. It was determined that the area had slightly higher traces of radioactivity than normal. However, it wasn't enough to cause any further investigation into it. The next day, each of the five remaining men underwent a lie detector test to see if they were telling the truth. Everyone except Alan passed the test with flying colors. Alan didn't complete his test and therefore, it was inconclusive. The examiner performing the polygraph test began to believe the men's stories. Even Sheriff Gillespie himself began to believe them. That night on November 10th, 1975, Travis woke up on the side of the highway near Heber. He had been lying on his stomach and was very disoriented. He was also wearing the same clothes from the day he had went missing. As he looked up, he saw a UFO hovering above the highway for a brief moment before it disappeared into the night sky. Despite its incredible speed, it was impossibly quiet. Travis struggled to pull himself up. Once he was on his feet, he took off sprinting down the highway. He eventually made it to a gas station phone booth and quickly dialed the number for his sister, Allison. It was just after midnight when Grant, Allison's husband, answered. Travis yelled into the phone, They brought me back! He then proceeded to say that he needed someone to come and pick him up in Heber. Grant assumed the call was a prank call and went to put the phone back onto the receiver when he heard, It's me, Travis. He had found his way to an Exxon station in Heber. Despite Grant's continued skepticism, he agreed to make the drive out. But before making the trip, he stopped in Snowflake and picked up Travis's brother, Dwayne. 
When they arrived, they found Travis slumped over inside of the phone booth. They quickly helped pull him up and placed him inside of the car. Travis began sobbing and attempted to tell them what had happened. However, he couldn't quite put the experience into words. He told him that aliens with horrible big eyes had abducted him. He also told them that he must have been out for a few hours, as he only remembered being inside of the craft for an hour and a half. Shocked by what they were hearing, Grant told him that it hadn't only been a few hours. Travis had been missing for five whole days. Dwayne didn't immediately tell the police that Travis had been found. He felt that he wasn't in the proper condition to speak to them. Dwayne eventually lied to the police and told them that he had taken Travis to the hospital so they would stay away. At that point, Dwayne decided to take him to William Spalding's doctor. When they arrived in Phoenix, they found out that the doctor wasn't a real doctor. Instead, they learned that he was a hypnotherapist. Dwayne was furious. He told Spalding to not contact them ever again. Shortly after, the APRO, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, reached out to Duane. They offered to have two medical doctors examine Travis at his house. The only downside was that the APRO didn't have enough money to provide the medical doctors, and agreed to allow the National Enquirer access to the Waltons in exchange for funding. The exam took place at approximately 3.30 p.m. the following Tuesday. It was concluded that Travis was in good health. However, two strange things stood out to them. They discovered that there were no ketones in Travis's urine. In response, Travis told them that he had went five days with very little to no food and water. They were also surprised to find that he had no bruises as he claimed to be thrown to the ground by the beam of light that emitted from the craft. Additionally, they found a small red blemish in the crease of Travis's elbow, similar to that of a needle mark. However, it wasn't near a vein. This sparked some controversy. Many believed that someone, or Travis himself, injected him with drugs. The claims were quickly dismissed after a blood test revealed that there were no drugs in Travis's system. An EEG was taken and showed that he had an unusual brainwave pattern. Bisynchronous waves were found, alternating from front to back. At a later point in his life, Travis was again tested, and the pattern was no longer found. Shortly after, Sheriff Gillespie learned of Travis's return. He assumed that the man had possibly been hit over the head or drugged. Travis was then scheduled by the sheriff to undergo a secret polygraph test, as to not alert the media. It wasn't long before Travis's logging crewmates heard that he was home safe. They were ecstatic to be able to finally breathe a brief sigh of relief. Additionally, his return would prove their innocence, and that they had in fact been telling the truth all along. 
The APRO then brought in Dr. Harder to perform a hypnotic regression session on Travis in a Phoenix hotel room. They did this as an attempt to help him remember what he had experienced. However, he didn't remember anything during the session that wasn't already in his subconscious memory. Despite this, he was able to feel more relaxed and not as afraid of what had happened, and was able to calmly discuss the events that took place. The story began. Travis was slowly regaining consciousness. He opened his eyes and saw a bright light above him. He was lying on a reclining bed and struggled to breathe in the heavy, moist air. Burning pains ripped through his body, and he felt as though he were dying. He looked around and noticed a strange, dark gray device that curved over his abdomen. His clothes were bunched up around his body, and he could feel his sweat pooling on his face. At first, Travis thought that he was in a hospital, but as his vision became more and more clear, he saw three strange figures next to him, wearing orange jumpsuits. At that moment, he knew these figures weren't doctors. They were, in fact, otherworldly. He recognized them as similar to the Greys. They were four to five feet tall, indistinctive in sex, hairless, and had large, almond-shaped black eyes. They never spoke a word to him during the interaction. Travis's initial reaction was pure terror. With what little energy he was able to muster, he lashed out at one of the creatures, knocking it back. In that moment, he could tell their bodies were very light with spongy skin. Despite being so weak, he managed to stand up from a seat. The device that had been placed on his abdomen then fell to the floor. The gray-like beings began to walk toward him with their arms outstretched. Travis quickly realized they were attempting to grab him. He looked around for anything he could use to scare them off. He then noticed a glass cylinder sitting nearby. He picked it up and tried to smash it into a makeshift knife. To his surprise, the cylinder wouldn't break. Instead, he waved it around in an attempt to protect himself. He yelled out at them, Stay back! There was no reply. The creatures then turned around and left the room. Travis knew this was the moment to try and escape. He quickly ran down the hallway where he was met by a large circular room. The room was empty, aside from a tall chair in the very center. Travis felt as though something was pulling his attention to the chair. He walked toward it and sat down. The moment he sat, the room was filled with the glow of stars, surrounded by darkness. It was very similar to that of a planetarium ceiling. He looked to his left. There was a strange lever next to his arm. On the right arm of the chair was a five-inch lime green screen. Hoping that the lever would reveal an exit, Travis pushed it. At that moment, 
The stars in the room rotated around as it shifted directions. Frustrated and in a hurry, he decided to get up and look for a door. The lights immediately disappeared and the room was lit again. Travis could hear a noise coming from behind him. When he turned around, he was met by a tall human figure wearing blue coveralls and a glass helmet. The figure's eyes were a bright golden color and larger than usual. Travis began yelling and asking questions. The man just grinned at him and motioned for him to follow. He was led through a long hallway through a mysterious door and down a steep ramp. The men entered a large room that looked similar to an aircraft carrier. At that moment, fresh air began to fill Travis's lungs. He realized he had just exited a spacecraft. However, this one was at least twice the size of the one he had originally witnessed in the forest. Inside the hangar sat multiple other saucer-shaped crafts. The man led Travis to another room where they were greeted by three additional human-like beings. One of them appeared to be a woman. The other two were men. None of them wore helmets. However, their blue uniforms matched the one worn by the man with the golden eyes. Travis couldn't help but to notice the strikingly beautiful features that all the human-like beings shared. He began to feel more at ease and started asking questions. Again, the beings just smiled at him and sat him down on an exam table. The woman-like being held up an oxygen mask and softly placed it against Travis's face. In an instant, he was asleep. At that point during the session, Travis appeared to hit a mental block. He claimed that he would die if the session continued. News of Travis Walton's abduction blew up the media. His story was being reported on everywhere. Somehow the news of the secret polygraph test was made public. Travis canceled the test after he felt that Sheriff Gillespie had intentionally leaked the information. A short while later, the APRO conducted a polygraph session instead. The results were shocking. The polygraph examiner stated that the results indicated that Travis was lying. He claimed that Travis and his crew members made the story up, and that Travis tried to cheat the test by holding his breath. Travis accused the examiner of being unprofessional, biased, and aggressive. Everyone agreed to keep the polygraph results a secret as they doubted the examiner's methods and his ability to be objective. Travis went on to take and pass a total of five law enforcement polygraph tests. However, the first test results were leaked to the press eight months later. Some people accused him of a cover-up. Polygraph experts were split on the issue. Some felt the examiner's results were valid, while others said his methods were highly outdated. Travis Walton's story attracted many believers, but it also attracted just as many skeptics. One of the most notable of them was Philip Klass, a UFO debunker. 
He pointed out that a film titled The UFO Incident aired on NBC a few weeks before Travis's abduction. The movie told the story of Barney and Betty Hill. Travis claimed that he hadn't seen the movie. However, many people believe that it influenced Travis's story, despite how different the two cases were. As the years passed, the intensity of the media attention waned, but the impact of that fateful November night never faded. For Travis and the logging crew, it was a bond that tied them forever together in an inexplicable and profound way. The experience transformed Travis Walton's life. He became an icon in the UFO community, traveling the world to share a story and advocate for greater research into the unexplained phenomena that had altered the course of his existence. Snowflake, once a quiet town in Arizona, had become a landmark to inspire intrigue and attract believers and curiosity seekers. The forest where Travis had vanished became a place of reverence and mystery. Some claimed to have witnessed strange lights in the sky since, adding to the legend of the Walton Incident. To this day, the Travis Walton case remains one of the most extraordinary and controversial UFO abduction stories in history. A tale that continues to captivate and terrify, leaving us to wonder, are we truly alone? Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts, I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. Alright, welcome back. Another week, another abduction. Another classic. (laughs) Sorry to cut you off, it is a classic. Yeah, absolutely. It is also an abduction. So, we're, yeah. We were were both right. Yeah. Alright, sweet. Travis Walton. Yeah, I'm, honestly, when we talked about this, when we were going over, you know, just kind of planning out our month, I was surprised that we hadn't done this episode yet yeah it's i mean it's pretty much uh i mean it's right up there with the like whitley streber abduction yeah i mean it's like some of the one of the most well-known yeah uh, abduction cases i i agree i mean i i I think it's right up there with barney and betty hill like sure it's it's one of yeah it's one of those that is it's it's very notable and it's extremely I mean, like everything point to it being legitimate. Yeah. You know, it's, there's so much like truth behind it. And the fact, I mean, that they passed all these lie detector tests and, you mm -hmm. know, the fact that he appears five days later out of, you know, randomly out of the blue, like just all these things point to it being a, a true story. I think the problem that you run into with this case and even with Whitley Strieber people like that when you compare those cases to cases like betty and barney hill i think the problem you run into is these folks are still around and they're still able to rub people the wrong way and you know develop ongoing reputations and relationships with people and like it's so it's subject to and the ufology community is as bad as any other community on earth when it comes to politics. Right. Of course. So like all it takes is for someone like who would rather, who would be otherwise reputable and believable 
all it takes is for them to piss off a couple like higher ups in ufology and then suddenly everyone's like oh no 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 fuck that guy yeah i mean this case is stupid you know the thing the thing that sets like these cases apart willie streber travis walton um linda napolitano napolitano and freaking uh, our our good old buddy uh well i can't even think of his name right now wow that's how much i care about the guy yeah um you know like that's how much fuck that guy <laughs> exactly <laughs> the thing the thing that's I think sets them apart from our traditional like classics like Betty and Barney Hill and stuff like that is the fact that you never saw Betty and Barney Hill go to like some some like sci-fi convention and tell their story of their abduction. Sure. You know, where well, Betty did the circuit. Well, I mean, yeah, there's but it was kind <laughs> of after after the fact and yeah. everything. So, I, I guess after yeah, Barney I passed. can't I so that really All right. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, uh, forget what I was saying. <laughs> I was trying to make it, all, you know, like. It's weird to picture her in that setting. Right. Though. Yeah. Like. I, I completely uh, spaced that that was even yeah. a thing. Yeah. Because she did it for a while. For a long while. After Barney passed, she did it for for quite a while. Yeah. And then her niece started doing it. See, and that's. Um, but that's what I'm trying to get at. Uh-huh. Is that like. You know, you that's that's what makes these kind of you kind of wonder sometimes about the authenticity and things like that because they are so willing to go out and not just tell their stories but do it in a fa- like in a fantastical way, such as like yeah. to a room full of believers. And you know, it's yeah, it's like what better way to like really promote a story mm-hmm. than people that already buy into it? I mean, it's the sketchiness of people willing to make their whole life about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? But at the same time, uh, there's that, there's that counter, that other side where it's like, why not tell your story? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm 100% one of those. Like it's, I mean, what is the point in just keeping it to yourself? Whether or not you're making money off of it or whatever else, tell your damn story. Like it's your story. I think where people take issue with Travis Walton is the fact that he ultimately sold the rights to his story and made quite a bit of money off of it. I mean, the thing about this is he was approached left and right till he finally yeah, till he finally did. He actually what ended up happening is he published his book called The Walton Experience in 1978 that basically detailed the, you know, the different events that took place, the media frenzy that followed it, um which there was a lot of a lot of uh, like pushback on the book because a lot of skeptics basically would ripped it apart and said, "Oh, you know, there there's parts of the book that were pure speculation." Because Travis talks about like sure. the group of his crewmates after after he's you know like engulfed in this light and they take off, you know, yeah. um, like what was going through their heads at the time, and they're like, "There's right. no way you could have known that unless they told you." <laughs> blah blah blah. Like, of course, be, people being stupid. I mean, you know. It's a yeah. book detailing his his story. Like some parts are, you know, he's gonna probably guess what was going through their heads, and yeah, I'm sure the gaps. you can pretty much, yeah, you make can a assume. pretty damn good educated guess in that regard, yeah, for sure. But so yeah, he got he got a lot of lash, you know, lash or pushback, backlash, and, yeah. backlash. There we go for that. But as I was trying to say, is he wrote this book and released it in '78, and then it wasn't until. 
I mean, 93, finally, Fire in the Sky came out, which is based yeah. upon, you know, on his actual story. And he sold the rights. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, it took him a long time to even be willing to sell the rights to the story. Sure. Um, I mean, at least, you know, 10 years of, of the, him being approached, you know, constantly about this. So, I mean, like, I think I would have done the same. I agree. I mean, I you, agree. you reach a certain point and a certain amount of money, and you're like, all right, I'm on board. Let's do it. You know, I've already, actually I've already written, a, wrote my book. <laughs> yeah. I was actually having a conversation today about this. And like the person I was chatting with, we came to the conclusion that like, yeah, I think I'd probably do the same. I'd do exactly what he did. And a lo- I think a lot of people have come around because he had a pretty not great reputation for a while. Right. Um, and, you know rumors about this and that and at different conventions and stuff like that nothing ever really concrete but like there was i think people have started coming around there are like some bigger names in the ufology community that are like talk to the guy he like they're someone that i trust a lot personally like i pretty much take their word for it um was like you talk to him like, there's no way if you sit down and talk to him, you won't believe him. Right. I, th- I think that goes with with everybody. You know, I mean, everybody there, their stories yeah. never changed. Yeah. They stuck, I mean, to the same story for years, years and years. I mean, yeah. you know, Travis eventually married Mike's sister, Mike Rogers, which was his best friend, um, which is the, he was the foreman of the logging group. Yeah. Um, eventually married his sister Dana. I mean, he, Dana, and and Mike like traveled the world basically telling his story for a long period of time. Yeah. And They're friends for life. Yeah. You know, and and other like the other crewmates were ran. You know, they were individually approached and told their story, their versions of it, and every time, I mean, never once did it change. Yeah. It, um, so that's that's one of those things to me. I feel like give it a lot more credibility. For me, the most crucial period when it comes to the uh, to the group to the eyewitnesses is that five days that he's gone, because they are under incredible stress. Yeah, like they're basically accused of murdering Travis. Oh, I mean the town was five days. The police even were Travis's convinced. brother said that after Travis came back, he was like. He came out and said, "Like I thought, they killed him." Yeah, he he honestly believed that they killed his brother. So, like, under threat of being prosecuted for murder, if so, a lot of people say, "Like, oh, the group came up with with the story. It was a hoax, right? That they were all in on." I don't give a fuck how dedicated you are to a hoax. If if it's keep up the hoax and go to prison for murder, or admit that you're doing a hoax you're gonna admit that you're doing a hoax there's no way under the under that kind of legal stress they were like they wouldn't be like we're just kidding just he's over here right of course they would yeah oh i but they didn't you i think anybody in that state of mind and that situation will eventually break right yeah of course and if they're telling you know if they are if this is all a big hoax it's gonna come out during yeah, that time they would have cracked exactly yep. absolutely but i don't mm. <laughs> that i mean honestly that's like the first giant check on the this is real column for yeah. me is the fact that they don't 
they don't break during that five days. There's because five days doesn't seem like a long time, but if you spend that five days in and out of an interrogation room, it's <laughs> right. a fucking lifetime. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, people have admitted to murders they didn't commit in less time than that. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's the stress, that anxiety, that just yeah. I mean, just wanting it to stop. Exactly. Yeah. Now there was so there was some reason you know to um accusations of the travis walton incident being um you know like a covered up murder so yeah uh one of the guys on the crew was alan dallas um he was he was i believe the youngest the youngest crew crewmate he was like one of the hardest working he was the fastest logger i mean this dude was yeah, he he knew his shit around you know, around uh, felling felling a forest basically, um, like the uh, like the blind guy in the Tales from the Crypt episode. If you know, you know. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've seen Tales from the Crypt. Good lord, dude, that episode is burned into my mind forever. I saw it way too young. <laughs> <laughs> so, needless to say, that morning of Travis of the the Travis Walton disappearance. We'll- We'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll just call it that. Yeah. So that morning, everybody meets in Mike's house. There's, there's six of them in total, including Mike. Um, as they're getting ready, Travis and Alan, Alan Dallas, get into a fight, like a physical fist fight, uh, because, uh, Alan had recently went to Travis's girlfriend's house and told her that she needed to break up with them and basically, like, professed his love for her and, you know, Ooh. like, yeah, he was after her and all this other stuff. So Logger they got in a fight that morning. Yeah. And then so, you know, needless to say, they they pulled themselves together, decide, all right, you know, we're just going to let bygones be bygones. We're going to get through this day, like whatever. Do our work. So needless to say, later on that day, they're out there doing their things. Um, so just to give you a quick, you know, quick, I guess, uh, background on this team or this crew. um. So there are six people, of course, Mike being the foreman. There's Travis, Alan, and John were all the saw workers. They handled they handled the, the saws. So in the other two, uh, Kenneth and Dwayne uh, were... They basically just pile, piled the trees. Dwayne was actually the newest member of the group. Um, and they had to be mindful of that. So he was... Because he was always around every... You know, like a tree's falling and everything. And he's right there. They're having to, like, yell for him to get out of the way. You know, they're... <laughs> having to watch yeah. this guy left and right but of course alan being the fastest logger on the crew um you know they travis basically thinking they had they had set their differences aside uh he's out there at one point and they're working he looks up to see this tree literally falling in his direction about to hit him and luckily he's able to jump out of the way in time and he looks up and sees alan back there just you know laughing away and he was the one who cut down the tree so a Jesus. lot of people found out about this, yeah, um, and said that you know Alan basically had a vendetta for him, or you know that there was like this like rivalry between the two, yeah, and that he was most likely the one that killed Travis in the end, um, you know. So there, a lot of people started to started to think, okay, this was an actual murder, yeah, but yeah, obviously, so there was more, not. right? There was more to it than just like he disappeared and they were with him when he disappeared. Right. There was an actual, like a motive that they established and everything. Yeah. That's intense. Yeah. So, um, needless to say, after they get back into town that night, you know, after Travis disappears, they go back, look for him. He's gone. 
They get back. They immediately call the sheriff's department, you know, basically saying, hey, this happened, you know. Yeah. Um, after they meet up with uh, Sheriff Gillespie, then they meet up with um, uh, the other sheriff. Uh, so the sheriff deputy and the sheriff, they meet up with both of them, tell the story. They eventually, one of the officers goes out with Mike to Travis's house um, to talk to his mom. Now, this is one thing that that a lot of the skeptics and, of course, uh, Philip Philip Class, we'll we'll talk about in just a little bit that re, kind of refer back to this moment because they go and tell Travis's mom what happened, and she's very calm, you know, eerily calm. Uh, okay. Seems very out, out, kind of off putting how calm she is, and she asks, "As have you, have you told anyone else the story outside of us?" And the crew, they're like, no, you know, nobody else has been told so far. And she's basically like, good. Okay. So, and the officer, he he makes note of it. That, like, it was really, you know, really weird. It was, she was very reserved. Um, and so he began to wonder, maybe something else happened to Travis. Sure. Um, and over the following days, Mary, Travis's mother, ends up breaking down. Um, goes to her friends. And, I mean, she, they're basically having to hold her back because she ends up, like, just falling apart over it. Yeah, but of course, skeptics refer to that moment, saying that she knew she, you know, there was nothing like, yeah. and you know, it was it was kind of just one of those things that whatever. Um, there was this there was an interview uh, with with Travis that he said, you know, my mom was a single mother of six children, um, you know, raised raised all of us alone, and she was a strong woman. He's like, I'm not surprised, you know, that she she that was like the furthest thing from her mind that she handled she hears it. that her son's missing she's gonna you know she's gonna give it the bit of a doubt basically yeah you know also also you can't overlook the fact that travis worked in one of the most dangerous professions on earth i mean yeah yeah so true. much like if your son is a policeman or if your son is a soldier in war i think you're constantly mentally preparing yourself for the worst yeah you know what I mean? I agree. So, so I mean, yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that's too out there. Yeah, me neither. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit calmer than I would be in that situation. Sure, but sure. you know, like, yeah, like you said, she's she was a single mother of six children. Yeah, she had other shit on her mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, it took it took a day for her to finally be like, oh shit, for it to sink in. He's gone. Yeah. Like, you know, nobody knows what's happened. Yeah. Oh, this warrants some panic. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, of course... Also, if if when I was, like, 19, if my mom, if my parents freaked out any time I went missing for an afternoon, they would have never stopped freaking out. Yeah, no doubt. You know? <laughs> so maybe it just took a bit for her to think, like, oh, this is serious. It wasn't a stretch you know for you I mean? to just come home with one of us and not tell your parents until... yeah. Even Sometimes like a day school. or two later. Right. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I frequently vanish. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that that makes sense. You know, it's... Yeah, it's a little off-putting, but I, I don't... That's not the most off-putting thing about this. No. And so, needless to say, there is an investigation into, you know, this whole thing. Town thought everybody was telling, telling lies. You know, they're... they're calling out so-and-so this person that person think if they all yeah. covered it up they're all they're all a part of this thing um you know and of course they go through a polygraph test each of them pass with flying colors 
Right. Outside of Alan. Alan just stopped yeah. in the middle of it. So his test was inconclusive. They tried to get him to do another one. He refused. But I always heard that his was inconclusive because he was just like freaking out the whole time he was. I mean, in that, there. that could very well like, be. And yeah. Then yeah. What he probably just it, like right? checked out halfway through because yeah. he was flipping out. Yeah. But I mean, the fact it's a high that, stress situation, dude, I could, I always think about like when we talk about polygraphs, like there's no way I could take one. My anxiety is so bad. Yeah. Same. As it is. If I, if I had like, if I knew I was doing that, I'd be like, am I saying the right thing? Yeah, I hope. Yeah. You know, like, they, like I feel strap, like I would fail they, it regardless. They, they would strap me all up and they'd be like, now call and make yourself a doctor's appointment. And they're like, oh. you're lying. The whole time. Yeah, they'd be like, is your name Ryan? And oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But still, it'd be like off the charts. Yeah, exactly. Not him? (laughs) Yeah. They couldn't even get through the base, the Uh, like, uh, what's the establishing the baseline questions. Yeah. Is this pen blue? Is your address 123 Fake Street? (laughs) Sure is. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Is it? Tell me, what is my address? <laughs> so there was uh so at one point, like Travis, someone in Travis's family had seen a UFO a year previously. Dwayne eventually told uh, Travis's brother, Dwayne, mm-hmm. uh, told journalists about it and also told journalists that Travis was open to UFOs and stuff like that. Sure. Which, of course, had some backlash yeah. and had people saying, oh, well, there, you know, there's part of the story right there. Uh, then of course Philip Class, being the you know posse is, also eventually you know as stated yeah. in the story, he said that there was that sh- that movie on NBC about Betty and Betty and Barney that uh, you know was most likely the reason that they used an alien story as a as a cover up. Um, that is because people like Philip Class do not understand the nature of the phenomenon. Oh, this dude. Oh, let's let's talk about Philip Class for a minute. Since we're here, let's talk about him. Yeah. After we talk about Philip, I'll tell you what I th- think the connection is between that NBC special and and what happened with Travis Holton. All right. All right. So let's learn about Philip Class. This guy named Philip Class is a real class asshole, a class hole, if you will. Um, <laughs> he's so he's like this UFO debunker. You know, he's there. Yeah looking for every possible angle he can to argue the story and turn everything back onto Travis and the crew members. All right. Yep. So he, he looks into the logging contract that they had, um, at this area that they were out, that the the area that Travis disappeared from after the disappearance found out there was an act of God clause that allowed Mike and the crew to get out of the contract and still make money from the contract. And so he concocted this wild story saying that they, Travis, along with the rest of the crew, they needed the money bad enough. And this was like one of their highest paying uh, logging contracts to date. So they concocted this story, basically, and, you know, used that as a, out of, a means of getting out of it. But what's what's funny is even after Travis's abduction, Mike never tried to claim an act of God clause. Never. Tra- he they never tried the work. To- well, they yeah. they eventually they actually uh, they took the they took the contract away from them. Okay, gave it to another crew. But Mike was then approached by other logging like other logging contracts had no no issues getting other contract. Yeah. You know, but yeah, he's like trying to be like, yeah, they did this, whatever else. 
but yeah, he never he never once even tried to use that as an as a as a thing. Um, class also tried to say that Travis was never in any real danger as well. Um, using this is where we go we refer back to Travis's mother using her quote unquote quote calmness as a key factor in that she knew she knew something and the fact that she was so calm he felt that basically everybody was in cahoots um okay <laughs> he also offered uh steve pierce ten thousand dollars in 1980 to discredit travis's story which i mean in that time i mean that's that's a good amount of money yeah. that's still a good amount of money of course <laughs> yeah. um you know so of course like you know there was some there was some thought there um you know pierce's wife that's... reminded him this is your friend you this you know yeah you know that that's not what happened you know like you know the true story and he he declined and of course you know but i mean this dude is a weasel yeah trying to get in like get in in travis's friends his crewmates and everything um, trying to get him to, you know, buy it, basically buy them out. They, uh, yeah, I mean, that's wildly unethical. There was a Larry King, uh, <laughs> there was a Larry King, um, episode where Travis was on it. So was Philip class. So was Mike Rogers. Um, and at one point there's literally like a yelling match between Travis and Philip and then Mike and Philip on two, two separate arguments. Basically like Travis, like, Philip calls out. He's like, so how much money did you make by turning this into some big Hollywood movie? And Travis is like, how much are you, is the government paying you for this? Like covert, like blah, blah, blah. blah. He's like, well, how about we take a look at each other's tax, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> taxes and you can see blah, blah, blah. Like just being, I mean, he's, this dude is wild, completely wild. Um, it, it, I mean, they're like Travis, along with a lot of other people, believed that Philip Class was actually working with like some covert angle and being paid by some government agency. And this is actually, I mean, there's there's a lot of people out there that that say this and use a like there, there's a lot of legitimate reasoning behind why they think this too. Because he's in like every type of case like this, trying to discredit it and trying to, I mean, it's just like people seeing a ufo that's legitimate and then the government hiring this guy to make them look like pieces of shits because this isn't real yeah. right yep and that's what this guy did it was his whole job and just i don't know man it's to me what a shitty job it's it's a shitty job but he's also just a terrible person um a, yeah a wild wild very very wild very out there Again, I mean, if you're interested in Philip Class, that's K L A S S. Google yeah. him, look him up. There's a lot of uh, Reddit posts about him. I mean, this this is just the tip of the iceberg on how how bad of a dude this guy really is. Um, yeah, he sounds like he sounds a confirmed class yeah. hole. Oh, he is extreme class hole. Yeah, <laughs> a world class class hole. <laughs> okay, so. Um, <laughs> As you mentioned initially, one of his main things was that this NBC special had run about the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Right, yeah. And that that basically, in his his version of events, that gave Travis the idea to, to go for it. Yeah. Right, to use that as the cover-up. I think, um, you know, with the way, with the way I think the phenomena or the other works, there's... 
I'm thinking, like, could learning about the Hill abduction have influenced the the manifestation of his brush with the other? Right? Like, I mean, yeah. Could I, it have, I, you know... I think like, anything, you know, you, you learn right. about something and all of a sudden it, it's in your thought. Maybe it's even in the back of your mind. Yeah. But yeah. I think I, it could it could influence some to some degree. I just I think about this guy who's like he's sort of into UFOs. He's like open to it. He he's had a family member who saw one or whatever, you know. So it's in his mind already, but like maybe he just wasn't quite open enough for to have an experience yet, you know? And then learning all the details of the hill abduction. Yeah. Maybe that, you know, pushed him over the edge. And then possibly had his experience, but I think his experience was a genuine experience. I don't think it was some, yeah, me too, you know, concocted hoax of a story that you know Philip Class is trying to make it out to be, right? Right? I just think that that you know, adding the Hill story to his mind maybe allowed him to fill in enough blanks during the experience, you know what I mean? Yeah, to, oh, to I agree. create one, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I, just, that's, I mean, that was also... I think that's how it works. Like, I, I didn't have a, a single paranormal experience until right after we covered... Um, what is that? that the Gurning Man? That covered. Was it, I, nope. th- I thought it was after Gurning Man, it's, but no. No, it's the, uh, the one that became like a law school study. You know what I mean? The, yeah, the people I know that were like I friends know which one you're their, talking about. Why can't I think of what it was? Yeah, they got, they went on to talk about it and like it was like the only ever confirmed. Yeah, it was like um, like legally in court, right? Legally recognized con- yeah. by the judge in a case and yeah. all that. Wow, yeah. that feels like such a long time ago. I know, but once we covered that, it was like it just flipped a switch for me. Yeah, and like I just had enough. You know what I mean? I had enough data to start. You know, yeah, experiencing things. Which, I mean, that's completely fair. You know, I yeah. think I think that's yeah, it makes sense because you you finally have opened yourself up to that like yeah. realm of possibility. And maybe seeing that NBC special about Betty and Barney Hill did that for Travis Walton. Yeah, you know, that's definitely possible. Yeah, I'll give you that for sure. Um, let's see. Now there was also uh, so the area that that uh, this forest area. Some of the remaining trees that have that are that were there, especially around where this craft supposedly had sat, uh, were examined, and it was found that the trees closest, or also facing the areas closest to the craft, and the trees closest to the craft had, of course, your traditional grow marks in in the actual like in the wood. Yeah, but they had even larger, like rapidly grown marks closer to the area that the craft had sat. Okay. Um, which is, uh, there was actually, as I was reading, this happened in Chernobyl. Um, a lot of these trees that, that were there almost grew like twice the, twice the rate that a normal tree would due to this radioactivity that was found, which also brings us to the next thing. So it was originally incredible Hulk trees. Do it. Incredible Hulk trees. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So it was originally said that. You know, the sheriff had taken out a Geiger counter and had yeah. taken radiation, basically checked for radiation in the area. And there were slightly elevated levels, um, but that but it crazy. was 
nothing right, nothing overly what they would expect. Yeah. However, uh, there's a there's a show on Discovery Plus now. It's a, a new doc based around uh, based around the Travis Walton story, which is actually really it's really cool. It, it focuses a lot more and talks a lot more on the crew and their stories and and everything that uh, happened you know as a result of everything. Um, trying to find it here. Uh, so basically, um, the crew said that they they were out there at this time, and they watched as this Geiger counter was going and just basically going off the charts. And they said that it was it was continuing to go off like crazy the whole time that they were there. That the report that was actually eventually turned in was falsified and said it was significantly less than was actually gotcha. observed there. Yeah, I had heard a little bit about that too, like. To the point where some of them were like, hey, should we be worried? Like, they were, like, right. talking about it when they were out there. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing I thought was really funny. So, uh, this is going to go back on this, you know, whether whether or not we buy into this. But Travis went on this game show. I don't know why he... he amongst all this uh, these things that he went on, this national tour that he went on, uh, he went on a game show. Uh-huh. And during the game show, so before the game show, he passed a he passed a polygraph test. Everything was great. During the game show, they uh, they went he went through another polygraph, like on air live while the show was you know while the show was going. Okay. And at one point, <laughs> uh, the question was, is uh, is Travis or did it was the question was were you abducted? And he thinks for a second. And he says yes. And all of a sudden, like, this, like, thing comes over, like, this loudspeaker that says, uh, the polygraph, blah, 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 says that Travis is lying. And he's like, what? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, but then he goes on to basically say, hey, you said this is only 75% effective, so. Yeah. Um, but he passed one right before this. So, maybe, yeah. you know, the nerves of being on national TV, whatever else, who knows. Um, but I, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, that's pretty wacky. There was some some weirdness with the polygraphs, with the series of polygraphs, though, right? Like he did, he had one done by the APRO that came back that, and they said that he was lying about the story. Right. Right. Well, the apparently the examiner that did it used very old methods. Sure. Um, like they were completely out of date and. They also, even the APRO said, no, this, this this guy is not, like, you know, he's not to be trusted, basically. And so they they kept that that initial one under wraps. Gotcha. Um, and he, he passed five more actual law enforcement, up-to-date polygraphs. Yeah. And then eventually, eight months later, it was, it was leaked, that first initial one he did with the APRO. And that's where people started to say, oh, well, you know, you failed this and blah, blah, blah. Must be like, lying. Right, exactly. Must be lying. So wait, the APRO didn't support that initial polygraph finding? Well, no. Okay. No, they they didn't um, because they they felt that the examiner again was biased. Was, yeah, very biased, and okay. you know, he yeah wasn't basically be trusted, and again his methods were I gotcha. You know, old and whatever else. Yeah. Because I always wondered, like, what would the APRO's agenda be to make him to right, make him exactly. look like a liar right no i mean they're there to back him up right yeah yeah exactly that's 
why I was a little confused. But it makes sense that they were just like, no, we we hired the wrong guy, yeah. basically. Like, yeah, I mean, that's basically how that went down. Let's just bury this and move yep. on. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, you know, outside of that, of course, it, like we've talked about, I mean, the story went on and it, it gained national recognition. Um, I mean, it was it was the buzz for for a while. Uh, he yeah. wrote his book. The movie Fire in the Sky was was made. Um, funny thing about that is uh, all the people that were involved with that, like basically took Travis's story and they said we have to turn this into a horror because the story is way too boring. Yeah. Um, the writer eventually came out after the movie was was made and apologized to like all of the fans and people that backed the story and everything and said, hey, you know. I I was forced to basically write it like this. We know that it's wildly inaccurate. Um but you know <laughs> wow. it, it is it's it's all right for what it is. I recently rewatched it. I hadn't watched it in years. Yeah. Came out in what 93. Um yeah. it, it's not terrible. It's you know it's kind of your run of the mill early 90s. Not a whole lot happening in the movie. Yeah. Like I mean they cuz they have like they have Travis like climbing out of this like this cocoon skin gooey <laughs> pod thing and yeah. climbing you know climbing up this like area and he's like zero gravity and he like eventually meets all these aliens and they like shove this like blanket like skin blanket flesh blanket thing that like hardens to him and stuff like just super super <laughs> silly um, just making shit up completely right. out of whole cloth, and it like yeah. everything looks so gross and so like not what you would expect. Uh, yeah, the inside of like a sub advanced race like craft to look like. Yeah, I mean it looks like he's like in like some dungeon or something really gross and whatever. Yeah. See, one of my favorite things about Travis Walton's story is he talks about how dark the ship, the inside of the ship is, though, that it's that it's very dark which always made more sense to me than this like idea we have that like the inside of a ufo would look like an apple store see i like that you know though. what i mean i, I don't know right, I, but I, like, I really love it to me like and travis himself says this that it makes sense to him when he thinks about it because of how big their eyes are yeah. like they wouldn't need it it would be dark right like they that's, would have yeah. heightened vision Right with with eyes that big, and like so to take those. Imagine if your pupil. Imagine going to the eye doctor and they dilate your pupils, mm-hmm. right? And then like you have to spend the next eight hours in an Apple store, basically. <laughs> like it would be painful. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, but yeah. I don't know. To so, me, like that makes more sense because like I think of like I'm gonna go on here and I'm gonna feel like I'm like in some really high-tech beautiful right because that's how we like, think of resort it, right? crafts or something like to me that's but a I resort that's... like I don't, I don't need the beach i don't need any i just need yeah. bright lights and cool technology <laughs> um, i think that's just the tip of the iceberg though when it comes to like our conception of what yeah of course life from another planet mm. would be like right because like they would literally evolve completely differently than human beings would. Well, without a doubt, right? it yeah. would it would be so different, so wildly different. So, like, if you think of like the evolutionary chain, if you make one tiny alteration, it changes everything exponentially. Yeah. After that, right? So imagine not even starting with the same 
base components, mm-hmm. how different things would be, right? So I like little hints of that. And like yeah. the craft being dark on the inside because their eyes are huge and essentially they appear to be all pupil. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course it would be darker. Yeah, but it's um, not going to be like grimy and right, dirty. Right. That's just and... early 90s sci-fi. Right, grimy exactly. And... I don't, which, yeah, that's yeah. stupid. Uh, I mean, that's how, look at like all sci-fi from, the, oh, from I, that era is yeah. like that. It's all nasty and grimy and gritty i just i have i have expectations when it comes to my you know my alien craft okay yeah Yeah. i understand if i'm ever abducted (laughs) and it's not at all what i expect take me back home it's gonna be like weird biomechanical like intestine looking hoses hanging out of the ceiling and well that's how the movie that's how it is in the movie exactly (laughs) i know and it's gonna be just like that so you're gonna be so disappointed yeah (laughs) Just giving it over with. Uh, yeah, but it's 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 a really cool it's a really cool story. I mean, yeah. you know, again, it the recognition that it received, along with just, I mean, just the the whole story, everything behind it, everything like them passing all these tests, sticking to the same story, Travis coming up and appearing, and him telling a story completely separately that also lines up with what they what they had observed and you know minus those five days his five mm-hmm. days versus theirs like everything about it is to me i feel like is extremely genuine yeah i love the moment after he comes back when he's when his brother is like it's been five days and he's like no fucking way yeah it has I, not been and he's and his brother says feel your face look at your beard yeah I and was, Travis realizes he has five days growth. Story, yeah. Like, yeah, just little details like that, mm-hmm. I think, really stick. Another one during the experience on the ship that sticks out, that stuck out to me was the way he talks about, okay, so after, in the initial room that he wakes up in, when he's with the, the little guys. Right. Right. The greys, as he, he basically, sure. as he had recognized them. Yeah. He says they start walking toward him with their arms outstretched and eventually he realizes that they're they're going to grab him right or that they're like going coming to hold him down right and that always that always stuck with me when you when you hear him say cuz he always says it like that like there's a delay in his reaction to mm-hmm. it and it's like you think about if a person walked towards you with their arms out you would instantly pick up on the fact they're going to grab me or they want to hug because right. Or yeah, whichever it is because, and you would know the difference. Yeah, of course. Right. Because of the other cues that a human being would make while doing that. Right. But like, there's a, it's like, there's a complete absence of human cues from these things. So it takes him a minute to realize like their intentions. Mm -hmm. Right. Just little things like that, I think, really add to the veracity of his story. Like, it, it makes sense that, I don't know, it's just just little things like that stand out to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. But it like, seems like it's a, almost like a normal thing until, you're, until that's when that realization kicks in. Like, what's yeah. actually happening, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff in abductions, like... I always look for those moments in abduction stories where the abductee misreads the being's intentions, 
Yeah. Right? Because we're a, a huge percentage of human to human um of human to human communication is body language. It's nonverbal, right? Yeah. Like you're re- basically reading the energy of the person you're interacting with. You're picking up on facial cues, your you know, body language, all that. So imagine how hard it would be to to guess the intentions of something that gave you nothing. Yeah, exactly. They're not responding. Yeah. They're they There's no, literally you don't, don't see their shoulders tense up. Right. You don't you don't see their face twitch, you don't see a smile or a frown, you get nothing. Mm-hmm. So it would be so hard to read their, you know, this thing's moving toward me with its arms out. That's all you know. Like, if a person was doing that, you would instantly assess the situation and very quickly pick up, like, is this aggressive? Is it friendly? Is it, are they, like, being sneaky? You know what I mean? But, like, you can't pick up on any of those, Mm -hmm. at least not as quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Now, one other uh, one other kind of talking point, something that we really haven't talked about thus far when we've talked about aliens, r- like races and things like that, are these other beings that he sees later on that are more human-like. Yeah. Right? Um, like the first one, he, he, cl- he basically says that it, they have like larger than normal golden eyes, but everything about them is, is human. Right. And so, and then as he meets the others, like there's these like beautiful characteristics that he can't seem to like you know that he can't seem to uh dismiss like you know like he can't help but to notice yeah and so there there are essentially uh, a race referred to as the nordics yes that these to me i feel are, are heavily most likely in this case and nordics are essentially described as being very very human-like in appearance um, they're from the, the Pleiades star system and they're, uh, apparently very human, like essentially very, very much that like resembling like Nordic Scandinavians. Okay. Very, very pretty people. Yeah. I yeah. think of, I think of like Fabio, like something like sure. that, you know, like that's what I feel, yeah. you know, that's, that's what he's basically seeing these and they're, you know, it helps put him at ease. Like he, or a, a modern example might be like an Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with nice, beautiful, like, f- long, flowing right. locks. Yeah, just tall, beautiful people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just go to like Sweden or Iceland and walk around, and you'll see. Right. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, and that's that's one. Like I said, I I just I don't think we've we've actually even mentioned. Uh, yeah. Or had a reason so. to talk about. So I just wanted to make sure we touched on that briefly. Um, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to go with go with there. It just he happens to run into them, yeah. Um, and they're the ones that like show him off of the spacecraft, walk him into the hangar. Yeah, you know, they make him feel more at ease. Like he's not right, there they as calm a prisoner him before he right. goes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, most of most abduction stories that involve supposed Nordics are creepy sex ones i mean those are fine too <laughs> they there are so many creepy <laughs> sex ones as they should be and it's always like i got abducted and i just like banged five nordic women for a month and then got dumped on a hillside hey amen bring that abduction on <laughs> to each their own i guess <laughs> <laughs> one thing that travis 
Go ahead. If that's sorry. the kind of vacation. If that's the kind of vacation you're looking for, I guess. Hey, I said, <laughs> you know, the resort I need is this beautiful, well-lit craft, technology everywhere, and apparently some beautiful Nordic people. <laughs> apparently. I mean, I will say it doesn't sound like a terrible time. Right, exactly. Okay. As far as abduction goes, would I rather have that than, like, Barney Hill's experience? Yes. Yeah. I'll, uh -oh. I'll take I'll take the Nordics for sure. But one thing I do love that uh, that Travis Walton has continued to say, you know, up till now is that he feels like after this experience, they were never actually trying to harm him. Yeah, I feel like they were they were studying him. They were trying to get to know him. They were trying to let him know that they didn't they weren't trying to harm him. But his initial reaction is fear. Yeah. Um, and he's very like positive about this and promoting, you know, like promoting this going forward, which I think is a, it's an awesome takeaway uh, to be able to have that experience and then also be very positive about it and realize, oh, no, this is actually something that's, you know, wasn't yeah. wasn't a bad thing. Right. That's harmless at worst. Right. Good for us at best. Mm -hmm. Like um, he's he's all about um, or he talks a lot about separating the fear and anxiety that we have about the concept of aliens from the actual existence of aliens. Yeah. Which I, re I really like. I think that's Agreed. a positive step toward dealing with the phenomenon in general. Oh, without a I doubt. Think. I mean, I think that's a, that's a great way to, about, to, to look at it, right? Yeah. I mean, we talked about, like in the case we re I referred to earlier, the one that sort of triggered my ability to have experiences that those people handled a haunted house like you should handle a fucking haunted house they basically made friends with the yeah. entities that existed in their house and they had an overwhelmingly positive experience instead of these like terrible experiences we read about so often where the family is horrified and people are getting scratched I mean think about the, the snarl hunting and, for example was one of those yeah. Yep. The Perfect. demon house and Gary was one of those. Sure. Like yeah. Yep. The conjuring house. I mean all of all of yeah. these 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 other stories. I feel like one like that that's like a very one-off situation and uh, you know on the mountain that is hauntings. But again, yeah. it's a very positive way to look at it. I think there's a reason why they're so common. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that those that the negative hauntings are so common and the most popular well-known hauntings of all time are almost all negative and scary. I think that has a lot to do with each other. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Because those movies scare the shit out of people. And of course, they get a hint of that and they're like, oh, God, I'm supposed to be scared in this situation. Yeah. Right. And then it just gets worse from there. And me, I, I hear things and like all uh, the other night, there was this like weird shadow that just ran across my wall. Like, I don't know. It, may, it could have been something that just like, it, it was my upstairs, uh, like, which is, you know, you wouldn't really think you'd see like headlights or anything kind of tracing through the sure. curtains or anything. But, you know, this is a weird shadow. Do your dogs hang out upstairs? Uh -uh. Nope. Singular yeah. dog these days. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Your dog. I'm so used to you having a pair. I know. I know. Uh, but anyhow, so I'm just like, not right now. Right. Now is bedtime. You're not allowed to be in the bedroom. And like, and I, I, I talk like this a lot and I, maybe it's, maybe it's stupid. Maybe it's like, 
you know, silly, but I feel like, you know, if, if, if it is legitimate, you know, and if my house is haunted, whatever, I'm, I'm living, you know, in a shared, shared home. You, you have to stand your ground. Yeah. But live, be able to cohabitate, you know, peacefully. Exactly. Absolutely. So, and I, and I always say like little silly things like that, like not right now. You could have hung out earlier. You know, wait till tomorrow yeah. when we're downstairs. You know, you can you can yeah. hang out all you want. But right now, this is bedtime. You're not allowed. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and yeah, you got to set ground rules. Exactly. Right. And yeah. you know, of course, nothing ever happens. Whatever. Um. But I I feel like you know, in that fact, because I've I've heard and you know, seen like seeing things so many times out of the corner of my eye, whatever else. Like again, might be my mind. Might be, you know, we've talked about this a lot, you know, regardless is completely yeah. separate from the Travis Walton story. But now that we're talking about it, yes. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like again, it's just it's one of the best ways to approach a situation like that. Unless, of course, it's a very negative experience and you're dealing with something a lot darker. Sure. Um, which of course, I mean, that's gonna make you approach the situation much differently. Yeah. Anyhow, just I mean, random. Even then, even in a situation like that though, consider your surroundings, consider the influences that you might be having on the situation or that the people around you might be having on the situation. True. Yeah. And adjustment toward the positive can't ever hurt. Mm-hmm. You know? Um feel free to yeah, light think- that white sm- sage smudge stick and Open all your windows and push all that energy out the westernmost window. Go for it, man. Yeah. Let yourself have a good day. I'm a huge advocate for that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that that helps you feel safe. Yeah. Just that that, that energy. I mean, whether or not you make or promote that energy, if you're doing something like that, you're promoting something that's positive, in my opinion. Yeah. I agree. I like I like this case. Yeah, me too. And uh, people go back and forth on it, but I think there are a lot of little details in it that that make it not only a fun story, but believable. Yeah, I very compelling. Like, I least. think I think he I I really think he experienced something. Oh yeah, I I mean without a doubt. I, yeah, he he got to experience something that all of us can only dream about. <laughs> you know. There, I mean, there is a thing about, there is a thing about listening to him talk now, because yeah. he's been telling the story for so long, right? That it it does sometimes come off rehearsed. Yeah, I mean, that's I was I was um, uh, watching uh, him on Joe Rogan as well, and some of those responses, he's just like, oh, oh well, uh, uh, looks off, thinks about it, and comes back like you know, yeah, and like sometimes, canned. yeah. Feels yeah. feels a little a little odd, but I mean, you tell your story a thousand times, it's like okay, yeah. My thing is like he at this point has the best way to describe everything he's trying to describe. Like it's like watching it's like watching a comedy special. Like they have spent a year at least whittling these jokes down to perfect. Right, he's worked they're out all down, the kinks. Right, they're pressed down to diamonds at this point. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you hear Travis Walton tell his story, he knows exactly how to tell it. There's He never loses his place. He never struggles for a description of something. He has it down. Oh, agree. So it can it can come off rehearsed at this point. But I don't I don't think that 
right, discounts the information. Yeah. I just think it comes from, you know, 50 years of telling the fucking story. Mm-hmm. Like, of course you're going to get good at it. If, if, if people only want to hear one story from you for 50 years... You're gonna get right. damn good it's at, like, at telling it's it. It's like you, you you have that family member that always like tells the same story on holidays. It's uh, actually if you yep. if you watch the bear on uh, Hulu, yep. which is a fantastic yes. show, um, it is. In season two, there's a family member that always tells the same story at every family you know what yeah. event, whatever else, and like somebody else calls them out on it. Like you've told this story so many times, we all know. But no, like it's that yeah, you tell the story so yeah. many times. That every, I mean, you know, every time you tell it, it's gonna, whatever, you've gotten to the point where it's just like muscle memory, right? Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. And it, you you have the word economy down, you have the perfect analogies to describe everything you're trying to talk about. Like, yeah. I'm sure it was not like that in 1975 oh, no. when he was, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure he stayed up many a night being like, how can I word this to make it just sound a little bit better? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's nothing wrong with that. It's making you know, it's making no. the story flow better or sound better or you know yeah. Again, you have a good story. Tell your story. And he's a damn good storyteller. Yeah, I'll be honest. Like, if you want to hear a really good interview with him, um, Payne Lindsay does a podcast called High Strange. After this, you should definitely go check that out. And he like weaves the narrative of the actual story of what happened in with a one-on-one interview with him. And it's like it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. beautifully produced. Yeah, it's it's really good. The whole series is about the UFO phenomenon, um, and this is a guy who came from the true crime world. Like he did a, a lot of the like the the types of podcasts where you're fo- where he's following one case for a whole season. Oh yeah, and like he was very good at that. But nice. he High Strange is all about the UFO phenomenon, and it's really good. It's, I'm about halfway through it. So Sweet. Travis Walton is the second episode. So go check it definitely out. go check that out. Um, I was going to say also, uh, with that said, a uh, really cool game just recently dropped the gray Hill incident. Uh, go check that out. We will have links for it. Also, hopefully a uh, couple game keys to give away here soon. So uh, yeah, be on the lookout for that too. All right. With that nice. said, I think uh, that's going to wrap up episode 108, the abduction of Travis Walton. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com slash reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the unknown. unknown.